Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the One Woman Book Club podcast. I'm your host, Grace, and this is the podcast where we talk about all things book-related, author-related, any current events going on in the book world, any new releases, book roundups, what I'm currently reading, and any news about my life. And of course, we discuss a half of our monthly book club pick, which this month is The Seven-Year Slip by Ashley Poston. I hope you all had a fantastic two weeks. It's actually crazy to me that it's been two weeks since the last episode because I truly feel like I just recorded it. Um, So that's a little wild to me. And I feel like I haven't said that in a little while, but August is flying by like crazy. I'm recording this on Friday, August 18th, but it will be going up on the 21st, which to me means that it's almost fall. I am definitely of the mindset that I treat September as fall. There's just not enough time to enjoy fall in October. We definitely need all the time we can to appreciate the full spooky season. However, I'm going to leave that for my September and October podcast episodes because I think that a lot of people are still in the summer mindset and I'm trying to make the most of it for sure. But definitely edging more into that fall territory and the fall mindset. It's all over my TikTok and my Instagram. And and I'm getting so many ads about new fall clothes. And I know that I have too many already, but I'm still wanting to shop because I love fall shopping so much. But anyway, that's not what this podcast is about. I am going to definitely talk more about fall um, as it comes up, but enjoying summer while I can for sure. I'm going to be honest, I so I've been going to workout classes more. So I've been taking a couple of these like trampoline classes where you bounce on trampolines and then you do some like weights and stuff like that. They're called like bounce and cardio sculpt at a local Portland um, gym. And they're amazing. I absolutely love them. But I went to one yesterday morning before work. And we were doing some move where we're like laying down on the trampoline and like lifting our legs up into the air. And I looked over at my friend and like started laughing because it was such a hard move to do. And like, it made us look like so uncoordinated. And as I looked at her, my neck like completely spasmed. And now I like have the biggest like kink in my neck ever. And I'm trying to like ice it and massage it and put, you know, heat on it. I have a heating pad. I have to do that still. Um, But we're getting through it. There's always a little bit of a risk when it comes to taking those classes. I didn't think I would hurt myself by laying down on the trampoline. I thought it'd be more like I'm jumping and I re-sprained my ankle. I sprained it last summer, if you didn't know. Um, But anyway... So I'm struggling a little bit with that. I'm sorry if you hear trucks outside for some reason. As I'm recording that this, um, multiple trucks have gone by. So I'm going to try to get rid of a lot of that sound when I edit it, but not fully possible, as we all know. Um, but yeah, so those are my little updates. I am trying to work out a little bit more. I am ready for fall. But other than that, I can kind of go ahead and talk to you guys about the two books that I've read since we last spoke. 
before we get into our final discussion on the seven year slip by Ashley Poston, I was able to ask you all some questions on Instagram. Um, I have some great discussion points that I want to talk about. And I'm just super excited to really get into that. I'm finding with these two episodes a month, I'm probably going to spend like the first episode of the month talking about, okay, book of the month stuff. We're also talking about um, new releases that are coming out for the month, what I'm reading, um, anything or like book news. There hasn't been too, too much book news that's come out um, in the past two weeks. Everything I pretty much covered in the last episode. So in the second episode is really going to be like my current reads and roundups. And then we're going to go into like a deep dive of the book that we're reading, if that all works for you guys. And briefly, we do have to start talking about our September book club pick, which was one of the questions that I asked you guys um, in the poll as I was doing for the seven year slip. I asked if you guys had any ideas for what you would like for a September book club pick and I did get a few. So I'm going to consider those for sure. But let me look at the calendar really briefly and give you guys a rough idea of when I'm thinking about uploading those episodes. So it is most likely going to be September 4th and September 18th, if that works for everyone. I'll probably do a poll on that also. So if you're not following me on my Instagram, which I'm sure the majority of you are, it's at Grace's Reading Nook. But I'll make a poll um, since this episode will be out on the 21st of August. I'll probably put up the book choices sometime this week. So be on the lookout for that. And then that would give give you guys either a full week to get the book and read it or two full weeks. So I'm almost leaning with September 11th and the 25th, but I'll post a on my stories when I post the book choices and say, would you rather have episodes on the 4th and the 18th or the 11th and 25th? So just get ready for that. But it is definitely time to start thinking about what books we want to read for September. Are we thinking fall vibes? Are we going to save that for October? Um, just so you know, I'm probably going to do a very, very witchy, spooky sort of pick for October because that's just me. I want to get all the October vibes while I can. But I'm curious what you guys are thinking for September. So even despite not if you didn't answer the poll that I asked a couple days ago, if you have any ideas for what you would like to be an option to choose from, just message me on my Instagram and I'll definitely look into it and take it into consideration as I pick our main four picks for you guys to choose from. So I've read two books since we last spoke on the podcast. I read The Guest by Emma Klein and I read Shark Heart by Emily Habeck. I just finished Shark Heart by Emily Habeck last night. And okay, we're going to start with The Guest, but I really guys, so no, I'm going to save it. I'm going to save it. We're going to start with The Guest. We're going to start by talking about The Guest by Emma Klein. It has been everywhere. I bought the hardcover copy when I went to Barnes & Noble recently, and it's just stunning. Um, If you you guys would probably recognize it if you saw it, it's that bright green cover with the hand like reaching out or like giving something. You're not really sure if she's asking for something or taking something or giving something away, like with the cover with the hand, if that makes any sense. Um... And I was really excited. It's a short little book. This is actually my first Emma Klein book. I've been really um, wanting to pick up and read The Girls for a long time because the synopsis sounds really up my alley. But I think the Goodreads reviews have kind of been like really deterring me from picking it up. But it's always at Bull Moose for like a decent price. This is such a weird book. And I finally gave my full review on Instagram this past week. That's actually the last post that I made if you're curious and want to want to see everything in writing. But let me read you guys a little bit of the synopsis of the guest. Um, It really won't give anything away, as will 
as you'll soon learn. But okay, it says a young woman pretends to be someone she isn't in this stunning novel by the New York Times bestselling author of The Girls. Summer is coming to a close on the east end of Long Island and Alex is no longer welcome. A misstep at a dinner party and the older man she's been staying with dismisses her with a ride to the train station and a ticket back to the city. With few resources and a waterlogged phone, but gifted with an ability to navigate the desires of others, Alex stays on Long Island and drifts like a ghost through the hedged lanes, gated driveways, and sunblasted dunes of a rarefied world that is, at first, close to her. Propelled by desperation and a mutable sense of morality, she spends the week leading up to Labor Day moving from one place to the next, a cipher leaving destruction in her wake. Taut, propulsive, and impossible to look away from, Emma Klein's The Guest is a spellbinding literary achievement. I, okay, as we all know, as I talked about when I was talking about what books I've rated five stars for 2023 so far, writing is incredibly important to me, as I'm sure it is to everyone, but a story can be really, really great. And I can like the characters and I can like the plot. But if the writing isn't compelling to me, and if I don't, if I'm not connecting with it, it's going to make it really, really hard for me to connect to the book. And that's exactly how I felt about the guest and Emma Klein's writing. It was really interesting, but I think it was like a little too try hard. And it didn't feel relatable, like at all. Um, And it might have been my mindset as I was reading. I ended up giving this book three stars. And that's solid. Um, Nothing higher than three stars for sure, maybe even a little bit lower. Um, Let me read you guys my review and I can kind of talk about it a little more. This is on Goodreads, by the way. I said, I truly have no idea what to rate this book. I hated it. And yet I still somehow enjoyed it. I would say 3.5 rounded down to three, but I definitely need some time to think about it. And as I've thought about it, I finished this on August 9th. It is definitely three, solid three, definitely not 3.5. I read this in two sittings. In my first sitting, I read up to 44% of the book and I was hating it. I was completely bored and so turned off by all of the characters, but especially the main character, Alex. She was using everyone left and right and was truly insufferable. I don't know if something in my own mindset changed or the book itself changed, but when I sat down to read it the second time on I said tonight, I had a different experience. I wasn't bored and I honestly couldn't read it fast enough. The tension built with each page and I was dying to know what happened next, despite knowing deep down we weren't going to get a satisfying ending. However, the ending is very um, polarizing, I feel like, but I really enjoyed it. Alex is maybe the most unlikable main character I've ever read, and yet I do feel for her. How did she end up where she is today? We learned very little about her background and really about her. Is she powerful or powerless? Does she know how to use everyone around her or is she being used? It's all really fascinating and I kept having to remind myself this was a 22-year-old woman because her mind and thoughts made her seem so much older. I also enjoyed the character she was with much more in the second half and especially enjoyed Jake and the drama surrounding him. It was all so misguided and wrong, but also endearing that they found each other at their worst points. I know this book will be polarizing for many people because I'm even fighting with myself on it. Did I love it? Absolutely not. Did I hate it? I can't say that either. This is my first Emma Klein novel, and I am intrigued to read The Girls. I think the longer this one sits with me, the more I will like it. That is not true. The more it sits with me, the more I do not like it, but that's okay. 
I did say, and this I found very interesting. I said, however, I just read Hurricane Girl and it had strong Hurricane Girl vibes. The love of the beach and swimming, staying at people's houses and not knowing what to do with your life, though I much preferred Hurricane Girl. Yeah, I feel like no one has made that connection and no one's talking about it. But it was very interesting having the last book I read, except for the seven year slip as I was reading throughout the weeks, be Hurricane Girl and then reading The Guest because it's both very much like quarter life crisis vibes. Um in couch surfing and not really knowing what to do with your life. But the biggest thing for me was this love of like swimming because Hurricane Girl, the main character in that, she's like obsessed with swimming in the pool and going to the beach and just wanting to be by water. And I found it so odd that Alex in The Guest felt the same way. Like I'm like, it has to be somehow related. It was very odd. Um, But anyway, I gave this three stars. I just really didn't connect with it. However, I will say, like I mentioned in my review, the second half, the tension just continually and continually built. And it was really, really entrancing and intriguing. And I could not put it down. However, getting through the first half was really, really difficult. So read it at your own risk. If you're a fan of Emma Klein and the girls, I'm sure you'll probably like this. I just don't think the writing style was for me, whatever it was. It might have been the tone. I'm not sure. I just didn't connect with this one. And that's okay. It wasn't a total fail. I didn't hate it by any means. Um, If the book was more like the second half, I probably would have rated it closer to a four. But I have to take into consideration that I really disliked the first half. And that's okay. And it's really okay because I think I just read my favorite book of the year, and that's Shark Heart by Emily Hebeck. I posted this on my stories last night right when I finished it, and I said, I think this is my favorite book of the year. As I was sitting here, I mean, I think about what I constantly am thinking about what my top five books are going to be of the year, what book has really called out to me or stood out to me rather um, on my shelf as I've been reading so, so many books this year. I've read 40 so far. For me, that's great. Um, Like what's standing out to me? What are my favorite reads? And I do have a couple, but nothing that has been like, okay, this is definitely my favorite book. I haven't gotten that really big feeling. Like no book has really made me like feel extremely emotional and think about life. Um, I felt that immediately when I read like Heart's Invisible Furies last year. I felt that immediately with Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow and um, Notes on Your Sudden Disappearance. Um, chasing the boogeyman. There were just a lot of books last year that I felt like I had that feeling. And there have been a couple this year. I don't want to dismiss what I already have read because I've read like 12 or 13 five-star reads this year, which is fantastic. But when I read Shark Heart, I knew nearly immediately that this was going to be my favorite book of the year. Um, unless I read something else that I like more, but it's going to be really, really difficult because this book is truly, truly special. You guys, it is I I actually I'm not even sure if I have full words for it yet. It's going to take me a little while to form my coherent thoughts for when I want to make a full review of it on my Instagram. Um, And it's one I know that not everyone's going to love. So I am huge on writing, as we know, as I already talked about in this episode, and I talk about all the time, the writing in this book is perfection. Like, and I don't say that lightly. I have never read a book that so perfectly sums up what the human experience is like and like what falling in love feels like and just appreciates the simplicity and the little things in life. The writing is just I've mag- magical, magnificent, incredible. Like I am not kidding with you. Um, the characters are so full of depth, so real, so raw. Um, you fall in love with them and their stories. And then there's this whole element of magical realism that you just have to suspend belief about like 
these characters turning into animals, which I'll get into the synopsis in a little bit. Um, and you do, and it just makes you cry. And this book made me ugly cry. Um, it's pretty much like three stories in one. It's split up into three different parts. And at the ending of each part, I was truly full on hysterically sobbing. It's so, so beautiful, you guys. So I got this in my book of the month last month. I'm so happy I did. Let me read you guys the synopsis. I don't think it'll give anything away, but I'll make sure I don't. I'm reading through the synopsis and I don't actually want to read too much of this because I went into it pretty much blind, but I will read a little bit of it and stop when I feel like it's going to give anything away. So it says, a gorgeous debut novel of marriage, motherhood, metamorphosis, and letting go. This intergenerational love story begins with newlyweds Ren and her husband, Lewis, a man who over the course of nine months transforms into a great white shark. For Lewis and Ren, their first year of marriage is also their last. A few weeks after their wedding, Lewis receives a rare diagnosis. He will, re- he will retain most of his consciousness, memories, and intellect, but his physical body will gradually transform into a great white shark. That's all I'm going to read. This book is like a true gift, like a gift to the world. And I know I'm getting like really sappy and sentimental, but I cannot say enough good things about what this book did for me. Um, I closed it and I, imme- and I immediately wanted to start it again. It was truly like poetry. So the book is written, like I said, in three parts. And the pages are very rarely full. So like, it's almost like little vignettes. And you also get like, plays within the story. Like, because Lewis, the husband is um, a high school musical theater director. Um, which of course strikes my musical theater loving heart. Um, but there's like little vignettes and everything is written so poignantly and beautifully. I want to preface before I start reading my review that this book won't be for everyone. I read a lot of books that I would recommend or say to my friends, oh my God, this is my favorite book of the year. I absolutely loved it. You have to read it. And in my heart, I'm like, I know they're not going to like it because it's not anything... I think it's revolutionary because I am so obsessed with good writing and good characters in deep novels that like really, really move me. But it's not like super flashy. Like there's nothing like dazzling. I mean, I think it's dazzling. But for some readers, it just won't do it for them. And I know that. I know everyone's not into magical realism and suspending belief like I am. I totally, totally get that. But if you're even at all interested in the synopsis and even at all intrigued and you like a love story, you like complicated um, relationships, there are some trigger warnings, definitely look those up. Um, Read this book. So I in my review, it's obviously five stars. If it's my favorite book of the year, I would hope so. Last night, I wrote nothing I could ever write in a review could do this book justice. I think I just heard my favorite book of the year and one of my favorites ever. As many other reviewers have said, it may take some convincing for some people to read a book about a man turning into a great white shark, but please just trust me and take the ride. The writing was some of the most beautiful I have ever read, absolutely stunning in its simplicity, wonder, and realness. I was in awe of how Emily Hebeck was able to sum up simply what it felt like to be human experiencing love and grief. I'm a huge fan of magical realism, and you do have to suspend belief in this one. It is magical and heartbreaking and so real that it sneaks up on you in the most unexpected of ways. Lewis's love for Ren is otherworldly and so beautiful. Then we get the story of Angela and her love of Ren. I didn't see it coming and it tore me to pieces. I've been talking about wanting a book to make me cry, and this one had me ugly crying on so many occasions. It is simply stunning. Five stars plus a million. A single book this year hasn't given me this feeling. The characters were honest and true and raw. It is utter perfection. 
And there's a um, a woman who wrote a review named Kay, and I'm going to read a little bit of it um, because I think it also really sums it up. She said, this was so well-written, witty, and funny in the way that makes you snort and then burst into tears. I had to put down my Kindle repeatedly because my soul was being ripped apart by Lewis or Ren or her mom. So this, I think, really sums it up. She said, I adore magical realism, but I've never been taken through the full range of human emotion by it like Shark Heart has done. The hopefulness permeating the story was intoxicating. The play sections gave it a sort of lightness that I really enjoyed. Watching everything come together to deliver this at the same time, heart-wrenching and heartening story was so fun and sad and tragic and hopeful and wonderful. I can't do this book justice in my review. Just know it's a beautiful exploration of what it means to be human and that I can't recommend it enough. Please pick it up. Like, I don't want to spend this whole podcast talking about Shark Heart because I'm sure in my end of year wrap up episode, which I'm already planning, I'm going to talk a lot about Shark Heart anyway. Um, I'm obsessed with it. And you could absolutely put it in your book of the month box for next month if you want to get it on a deal. The cover is stunning. Everything about it is stunning. And it is now one of my prized possessions. Thank you. End of story. And that is really all I wanted to talk about um, to start at the podcast, just a little bit of a life update and um, what I've been reading recently. As I said, we already talked a lot about what's going on for August new releases. Hope you're all reading some great books. My next book that I'm going to pick up is The Rachel Incident. It's a short one. I'm really excited about it. So that's on my TBR up next. Are you ready to shop? Rakuten's Big Give Week is back. Get 15% back at hundreds of stores, and it's all happening this week, May 6th to May 13th. It's the perfect time to shop for everything on your list for spring and summer, like clothing, outdoor gear, and travel. I know I'm using this week to stock up on some warmer weather essentials at Ray-Ban and Ulta, and I love that Rakuten even helps me save on travel at sites like Hotels.com. Rakuten really is the best way to shop, and you can save even more by stacking cash back on top of deals. Plus, during Big Give Week, that cash back is bigger than ever. With Rakuten, membership is free. And when you sign up and shop today, you get an extra 10% cash back boost. That's an extra 10% cash back on top of the 15% cash back. You won't see higher cash back rates than these. Go to Rakuten.com or download the Rakuten app. R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Shoppers get it. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. But now let's get into our final discussion of The Seven-Year Slip by Ashley Poston. So if you have not finished The Seven-Year Slip, you should stop listening here if you do not want to hear any spoilers, because we will be having some spoilers and we will be talking about the full ending of the book and everything that it entailed. If you don't care about spoilers and just want to listen anyway, that's totally fine too. Just know that they are coming. Let's start as always by my chapter by chapter 
walk through and then we'll get into some of the poll questions that I asked you guys. All right, so to refresh, we're starting on chapter 22 and Clementine is entering her apartment and is about to see Ewan for the first time in months. Yes, that's right, Ewan. I had a very kind follower this week let me know that in the audio version, the narrator pronounces it Ewan, not Ewan like I was saying. I know Ewan McGregor spells his name with an E, not an I, but it just made sense to me to say Ewan. It never in a million years would have crossed my mind to say Ewan, but here I am. Um, And I did ask this on my polls, um, and I did have a lot of you also say Ewan, but I had a lot of you say Ewan. I don't know if that's a Northeast thing because I've I never have seen anyone with the name Ewan or Ewan. I would never have thought to pronounce it Ewan in a million years. I don't know if like Ewan is like a Southern name. Let me know because I was blown away by that. Anyway, I am dying to see where it goes and what excuses she uses for being gone for months to Ewan. Chapters 22 and 23, we have back-to-back chapters of Ewan being completely different people. And it's honestly hard for me to form in my head that Ewan and James are the same person. Ewan to me is a dorky kid who is still sexy and fun, but definitely very young. And James to me even has like a deeper voice and is just way more suave. And I know we're supposed to feel this way because Ewan has changed incredibly over seven years, even his first name has, but still it's really crazy to me. So Clementine and Ewan have a nice dinner seven years in the past, and they catch up on not seeing each other for a while. Ewan says he always knew she'd be back, but realizes she had to check on her own apartment, which makes sense. And like, that's the end of that. They share an incredibly passionate kiss before Clementine realizes she needs to go to see James at the Olive Branch. Ewan in the past said that it's the people in a kitchen that make a successful restaurant. And that's when she realizes that Strauss and Adler are the perfect publishers for this book. So in chapter 23, she waltzes into the kitchen and after some hiccups, she finally finds him. He says he turned down the offer because he thought she wouldn't want to work with him. What does that mean? Did Clementine in the past say they can never work and see each other? How is this going to work? Clementine says all they shared was a few kisses. So what? She thought he wouldn't want to work with her. I have a feeling they're going to share more than a few kisses and maybe James takes offense to that, but we will see. We get some of what I'm picturing as raspy lemons come out of James's mouth, and he even calls the position they're in sexy before he promises he'll reconsider their proposal and talk to his agent about it. In chapter 24, in this chapter, we sadly learn that Analia died of a suicide. Before this, it honestly never really crossed my mind to think about how she died. Then Clementine said she was only 62 when she died, and I thought that was pretty young. Then we learned that on New Year's Day, her mom called her, obviously hysterical, and told her that neighbors found her. That is truly, truly devastating. The way Ashley Poston writes about suicide here is with such care, and it was really heartbreaking to read. This all started because Clementine received a package at work from her aunt, which seemingly got lost in the mail at some point. She puts it aside because she doesn't want to open it yet. But when she goes back to look at it later, she realizes it's gone. Did someone steal it? Did the slip somehow end up taking it? Or like, I don't know what happened there. And she's receiving it in the future when it really should have been in the past. It feels magical, but I'm not sure. And we'll find out. Then I wrote on a huge chunk, I said chapters 25, 26, 27, 28, and 29, because that's all in one day. 
I said, okay, I had to keep reading for a while here because these chapters were so fun and I wanted to finish the date. And we have lots to discuss. First, we learned that James has reconsidered Strauss and Adler's proposal, and now Drew and Clementine are getting ready for the cooking competition. It takes place at the Olive Branch Kitchen, and after meeting some despicable fellow book people, the girls start cooking and have a blast with it, even though their raviolis come out looking like vaginas. We'll see how they fare. <laughs> Drew gets an Uber, and while Clementine waits for hers, out comes James, and he asks, if she wants to get dinner with him. Yes. They start walking over to a food truck and it just so happens it's James's friend with the amazing fajita recipes food truck. James keeps saying things like, well, it's been a bit longer for me when Clementine says it's been seven years. And even after reading these chapters, I am still confused on how this timing is all working, but we'll get there. Obviously, there are still feelings there for both of them, and I don't think it's going to take them long in the present to act on them. They introduce themselves as just old acquaintances and have some amazing food. They catch up, and James learns that Clem's aunt has died, and he's very sad he wasn't there for her, which is really sweet. James's grandpa also died right when he moved out of the apartment, so he never got to see him open his own restaurant, which is super sad. Then we get a bombshell. The last time James saw Clem was when she was 22 and coming home from Iceland with her aunt. So the apartment worked for him how it's been working for Clem. Why can't she remember that? Or does she? And he won't tell her how it went and won't say if it's because he doesn't want to or because he can't remember. But regardless, she told him at some point how the slip worked. Or maybe Analia did. Why do I feel like I'm about to be heartbroken? Then Miguel says that when he was just promoted to line chef at the Olive Branch, he couldn't stop talking about this girl, the one from the song, Oh My Darling Clementine. And when he said that, I don't know if you guys felt this way, my heart literally nearly skipped a beat. The song goes, Oh My Darling, Oh My Darling, Oh My Darling Clementine. She was was lost and gone forever. Oh My Darling Clementine, which is very fitting for this book and is making me very sad and sentimental. Like she was lost and gone forever. I'm dead. Then James walks her to the train platform and they almost kiss after he counts all of her wonderful traits on his fingers. But instead, he kisses her on the forehead and says that she's supremely off limits and that it's always the wrong time, isn't it, Lemon? My heart. I truly can't take it. And I know that technically it's the wrong time because they could very well be business partners soon. But still, who would have to know? I'm personally bad when it comes to workplace romances because I myself took place in one with my current boyfriend way back when we first started dating. But anyway, that's a story for another day. Um, I know they're going to get together, but I need it to happen faster or will they not? And what's going on with this time slip and why are they not remembering? I need answers. In chapter 30, we have our first full spicy scene and Iwan is just as sexy and romantic as we all thought he would be. Clementine opens the apartment to find Iwan there after she just left James on the date. It is so sweet to see him light up to see her, and I love the romance between the two of them here. We all read it, so I'll save you from the details. Clementine realizes she's breaking her aunt's second rule. She cannot help it. She falls. She says she's probably forgotten to take off her shoes a few times, so what's the harm in this? Obviously much worse, but I support it still. Then in the morning, Iwan wants to go explore NYC with Clementine. And even though she knows she could stop him, he opens the door as they hold hands to leave and he disappears. What goes on in Iwan's timeline when that happens? I wish she had told them about it before it happened, but I don't know if she's going to be the one to do it. Chapters 31 and 32, as Clementine leaves the apartment building for the day, the doorman gives her a letter addressed to her aunt from Vera from a few years ago. 
What could this mean? Clem didn't know they'd been keeping in touch, and this explains that maybe they had. She contemplates opening it, but at least decides to wait for a bit. She then takes Drew and Fiona back to the fajitas truck, and when she rounds the corner to get their waters, there sits James hungover from the beers they drank the night before. He noticed she has a hickey, and he quickly realizes that it's from him seven years in the past, which is hard to wrap his head around, obviously. For him, it happened seven years ago, but for her, it was just last night. He then says some very sexy things before they split ways for the night. The next day in the office, Rhonda says that she's putting Clem up for the director of publicity position, but that they will be interviewing outside people as well because it's what the owners want. I have a feeling Clem is going to get James to sign with them, but then turn down the position position so she can live life to the fullest like her aunt always wanted. Drew gets the email that they're moving forward to the next round for James's book. Then the three of them decide to go find Vera and return the letter. In chapter 33, Clementine goes to Vera's apartment with the support of Drew and Fiona waiting outside. Immediately, when Vera talks with a slight Southern accent, I'm sure we all quickly realized it was Ewan's mom. And that thought never crossed my mind, you guys. And I absolutely love that turn of events. How sweet and sentimental that both Analia and Clem fell in love with members of the same family. Vera didn't know that Analia had passed and it was heartbreaking for Clem to have to relive that and break Vera's heart. Now what is she going to do that she knows Ewan is Vera's son? Chapters 34 and 35, the girls from the publishing house go to James's new restaurant soft opening, Hyacinth. And it's everything Ewan never wanted in a restaurant and everything Clem knew that James was going to create. Small plates of food that do sound quite good, but are clearly going to be very overpriced and leave you feeling hungry at the end of the meal. And the chairs were uncomfortable. James and Clem meet up in a hallway and he asks what she thinks of it. And she tells him the truth, that the food was delicious, but it wasn't him. He tells her that the Ewan she met seven years ago is gone. And then he had to change in order to achieve this, that she never would have been here at all if he was still a dishwasher. While all of that's true, I have a feeling she's going to get him to change his mind. Fiona's water breaks right at the table. Maybe that'll make James get some new chairs. And hours later, Penelope is born. After all of this talk with James about staying true to who you are, Clementine finally realizes she doesn't want to be Rhonda's replacement or even work at the publishing house anymore, and she gives Rhonda her resignation letter. This is amazing for Clementine, but a little fantastical for me. It does seem romantic and fun to quit your job out of nowhere so you can pursue your passions, but usually you have a little bit more of a plan. That's absolutely the realist in me, so don't mind me, but I also think I would kill for Clementine's job, so I think I'm partial to that. Chapter 36, Clementine's parents come up to celebrate her birthday early at their favorite lunch brunch spot, and she tells them about quitting her job. She is quite nervous about their reaction, but they handle it very well. What we learn is that she had a conversation with a stranger in a cab seven years ago about getting into the book publishing industry. Clearly, that was Ewan, but how? Are we going to learn about how the slip works and how they remember something but not others? Or am I just bad at sorting this all out? So I was bad at sorting this all out. My mind, it was very hard for me to comprehend like what was going on at some points with the slip, but I understand it now. But I would be curious if you guys had a little bit of trouble with that at any point. Chapters 37 and 38, I said, guys, I have full body chills and tears in my eyes. So in 36, Clementine meets Ewan in the apartment and tells him about how it all works, almost because she has to, because the last time they were together, she disappeared. We learned that when Ewan steps out of the apartment today, he's going to run into Clementine in his own time, seven years in the past, in the cab. But you won't know him and he'll understand the slip so it all works out, which I understand. 
They have a beautiful goodbye, knowing that they'll see each other in the future and her present. And she realizes she needs to tell the Ewan in her time that she loves him. As she's about to leave, Aunt Analia steps through the door in her traveling clothes home from her trip abroad. This is what gave me full chills. I thought at one point that this might happen, but had forgotten about it. And that is just so beautiful. Now, this is a a question I prompted you guys about on my Instagram, because I had a message come through. um, Was that actually Aunt Analia? And immediately I thought that it was, and I'll end up reading the passage for you guys in a bit. Um, But I, on first read through, definitely thought that it was. Um, And I said, and for now, I kind of like that it's open-ended like that. And we don't know how they spent their time together, just that they had it and that's enough. And then we had our beautiful ending. Clementine goes to the Met to look at Van Gogh paintings with Drew, Fiona, and Juliet. Drew was the one who took the package from her aunt all that time ago, and she gave it to her. It's a travel guide to Iceland where they were supposed to be going, which is very sentimental. Then Ewan comes to sit with her, and after a chat, he tells her that he is in love with her. They stumble back to her apartment and have a great steamy scene where we learn that Ewan got a tattoo of a lemon plant over his heart years ago. They are in love and it is beautiful. In the epilogue, Clementine says goodbye to the apartment and the memories it holds with her aunt and leaves with Ewan to start a new life. And that is our ending. So this was such a delightful little book, you guys. I really, really enjoyed it, especially the writing style. The descriptions of the food and the setting were so perfect. And I really, really loved learning about Clementine and Analia's relationship and travels. But personally, I could have used a little more romance. There were only a few times that I felt truly connected to Ewan as a character, and that mostly came at the end. I know it was difficult because they were literally in different timelines, but I can always use more romance. However, I now need to read Ashley Poston's other books, and I'll start with The Dead Romantics because I've heard great things. Overall, this was a really, really sweet book that I really enjoyed that I think is a very solid four stars for me. Not perfect, but one I would definitely recommend for sure. And I'll read you a little bit of my Goodreads review as well. I said the thing that stands out to me the most about this book is the fantastic writing. Ashley Poston wrote with such beautiful descriptive imagery of both the stunning apartment and delicious food. Food truly becomes its own character in this book and definitely its own love language. I loved reading about Clementine and Analia's relationship and how she really showed her how to live life to the fullest and be the most authentic version of yourself, which I think is so important. I didn't expect to love the relationship between the aunt and Clementine the most, but I really think I did. Ewan is a lovely book boyfriend, and I only wish we got more of their relationship. It was so fun and beautiful, and I did love some of their romantic scenes. I just wanted more of it. The dialogue itself was super realistic and flirty, and I loved that and definitely was rooting for them the entire time. I really enjoyed Clementine's work at the publishing house and loved her friends there. Overall, like I said, super happy about it, really happy that we read it for the podcast. And I think many of you felt pretty much exactly the same way that I did. So the first question I asked you guys on the polls was first, what did you rate the book? I said one to two stars, three to four, four to four point five or five stars. So we had 9% of you voting three to four stars, 50% of you voting four to 4.5 stars and 41% of you voting five stars. So that makes me so, so happy that so many of you really, really enjoyed it enough to give it five stars that the other vast majority and gave it four to 4.5, which is where I would rate it as well. But that's perfect. That's right on the money with how I was feeling. Which is so fun to hear that you guys felt the same way. So let's talk about that paragraph that I talked about um, just a minute ago. I said there is an ambiguous paragraph towards the end of the book that I'll insert here that I got um, from one of my friends who read it with the Kindle. Here's what it says. It's right towards the end of the book. 
Of all the people, all the experiences, all the memories that loved me into being, I heard the door open and I stepped out of her study. Had Ewan forgotten something? Ewan, if you forgot your toothbrush again, my voice trailed off as I stared at the woman in the kitchen doorway dressed in her traveling clothes. She dropped her bags, her face stretching in confusion and finally wonder. Then she smiled, bright and blinding, and threw out her arms. My heart swelled with grief and joy and love. So much love for this ghost of mine. And then I asked, do you think Analia actually slipped into the apartment? 80% said yes, 20% said no. Is it possible that it was like a version of her past self stepping into the apartment? I don't know how that would be possible. Like we don't know what the limitations are of the slip, I guess. Um, I'm still thinking that it's Analia and I'm still really loving that they left it open-ended. I think it would have like hit you on the head with it too much if she was like, okay, hi, Analia. Oh my God, you're dead. It's so sad. I know I'm, I'm being very like blunt right now, but I really like that it's kind of ambiguous. Then I asked any other thoughts on um, about that paragraph and someone said, I think it was actually Ewan, which is definitely possible, but they did say her. I'm pretty sure the, the chapter said her, right? She dropped her bags, her face stretching in confusion and finally wonder. Um, so I do think it was either Analia or herself, but you never know. It is possible. Um, then I asked, how did you pronounce Ewan in your head? I said Ewan, which I spelled Y-O-U-A-N, Ewan, E-E-E-W-A-N, or something else, put it below. And then someone said, I was doing Ewan like Ewan McGregor, which that's how I was doing it until I learned that it wasn't that. And then my friend Alex said, I won, which is also very possible. We literally have no idea. Um, But I got um, 58% of you said Ewan, which is crazy to me. So you guys read the word or the name I-W-A-N and immediately thought that it said Ewan. So the two people that responded that it was something different are people that I know. So my friend Noelani and my friend Alex, both of them thought you and or I won. So we're all from the Northeast. So we I don't think any of us up here have ever seen the name Ewan. But I'm guessing the majority of you who saw the name and immediately thought it was Ewan have heard that name before and it's a Southern thing. Anyway, 58% of you said Ewan, 39% of you said Ewan, and then 3% of you said something else, which I already discussed. So God, you guys are smart for thinking Ewan. That's all I'm going to say. Then I asked, would you rather travel seven years in the future or the past? 55% of you said past and 45% of you said future. This is one that I had to think about. I immediately in my head when I read this question thought future because I would want to know what my life was like. But I think I I just, I don't think I want to know. I actually don't. I think it's really fun to not know what's going to happen in your future and just leave it up for the magicalness of what's all about to happen. You know, I would definitely travel to my past. So that would have made me 21. Oh, God, it was a rather great time in my life, though, honestly. So I was 21 in August. So I was going into my senior year of college. Oh, my God. So I was seven summers ago, that song. Um, Seven summers ago, I was working at a hotel um, at the front desk. And I was also waitressing a little bit here and there for that same like restaurant hotel. I also worked at Whole Foods in their like restaurant bar they had. I cannot believe that was seven years ago. It feels truly like seven years ago. I was also performing in Beauty and the Beast at a community theater production um, of Beauty and the Beast as Babette the Feather Duster. Oh my God. It was such a weird time in my life, but I would definitely be really curious like 
to go back to that time in my life and like see myself and like be in that body again. So definitely the past wasn't the best time, but very interesting regardless. Then I asked, what is a food that reminds you of your childhood or, you know, growing up or just reminds you of home? Um, For me, I think a lot of us had like very similar answers. It's that comfort food, right? For me, it's absolutely, it's one of two things. It's either meatloaf, mashed potatoes and peas. I know that's like very niche. My dad made the best meatloaf when I was growing up and we always had it with mashed potatoes and peas. I actually made meatloaf last night, which is so funny. So definitely that or um, my mom and I always had spaghetti and meatballs. So definitely pasta. My comfort food to this day is any sort of pasta. Um, But both of those things specifically, spaghetti and meat sauce or meatballs and meatloaf, mashed potatoes and peas, take me back to my childhood and growing up for sure. Um, And a lot of you guys said a lot of the same sort of like home style meal answers. We have Sunday roast beef dinners, chicken a la king. Don't know what that is. I'd love to learn what it is, though. Grilled cheese, chocolate chip cookies, tomato soup and grilled cheese, corn chowder, goulash, lasagna and macaroni. Just such comforting, warm meals, a lot of cheese, a lot of pasta, a lot, mostly carbs. Carbs are home. Carbs are childhood. I completely agree. Then I asked, what do you think that um, Clementine is going to do with her career now that she quit the publishing house? One of you said travel blogger. One of you said painting or something to do with travel. Another traveler food blogger. Then hopefully something with her painting. So I agree. I hope that she continues to paint those travel guides. Personally, I had a little bit of a hard time picturing what those travel guides were actually like. Like, how was she painting on them? Like, were they black and white and they were just like written and then she was writing the scenes behind them? I'd be curious to know your thoughts on that. I had a little bit of trouble, but I hope she's painting. hope she's doing what she loves. It'd be really cool if she was a travel blogger and kind of got to live through Analia that way. Then I asked if you could go anywhere in the world, where would you go? And we have a lot of responses. We have Greece, Switzerland, Japan or Taiwan, Norway, Bali, Tahiti, Italy, New Zealand and Greece. This is a great. I've been a lot of places. So right after I graduated college, Um, So six summers ago, I went on one of those EF like ultimate breaks and I went to like 10 different countries. Was it 10 different countries? It was a lot of different countries. Um, I went to like Ireland. I went to England. I went to France, Italy, um, Spain, so many places, the Netherlands. Um, It was so wonderful. And I feel like I was really able to get a great taste of a lot of those different countries, which was amazing. I did not go to Greece. I think Greece would be one of my top choices right now. I really want to go back to Ireland. I absolutely adored Ireland, loved it. But I think for new places, I would really like to go to Greece because I love Greek food and it's just so stunning there. And actually, that is it, you guys. Um, The next question I asked was for September Book Club picks, which I won't share. I'm going to keep those to myself in my little head as I start thinking about what I want to read for September, what choices I want to give you guys to read for September. So that is all for August. We have wrapped up our August book club, The Seven Year Slip by Ashley Poston. I hope you all enjoyed it. Really looks like you all did. And we're getting ready for September. So any ideas that you have, please let me know um, by messaging me at my Instagram at Grace's Reading Nook. And I will be posting this week what our choices will be and what schedule you guys would like. So be sure to be up to date on my Instagram and be participating in those polls so you can get a say in what we do for September. And thank you guys so, so much for listening. I hope you all have a great couple of weeks and I will talk to you very soon. Again, thank you for listening. Bye guys. 
Attention, fans of fairy tales that are magical, hilarious, and grim. The award-winning Pinna Original Podcast Grim, Grimmer, Grimmest has new episodes out now. While you've probably heard of the Brothers Grimm, you've never heard these tales told in quite this way. I'm Adam Gidwitz, best-selling and Newbery Honor author of Books for Children, and in Grim, Grimmer, Grimmest, I share the real, weird, grim fairy tales with real, weird, hilarious kids. In each episode, you not only get to hear a story, but you also get to enjoy this group guessing what'll happen next, cracking jokes, and sharing their own perspectives on the tales. Also, heckling me. They love to heckle me. The episodes are rated on a scale from grim to grimmer to grimmest, so there's always a great variety of tales to explore with your family. You can listen to Grim, Grimmer, Grimmest now wherever you get your podcasts. And be sure to follow the show so you don't miss new episodes. 